0: It's Friday, January 24th, 2020. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Wallerson. For most Pennsylvanians, trails are a convenient point of access to the outdoors. And for many of us, they're also a handy way to get around, linking homes, workplaces, schools, and businesses. At the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, of course, trails are at the heart of what we do, with nearly a third of PAC staff devoted primarily or exclusively to trail and outdoor recreation programs. Whether it's the Circuit Trails in southeastern Pennsylvania or the Industrial Heartland Trails in the West, our team and their partners are passionate about adding miles and closing gaps. But at the end of the day, a trail is just a route a quantity of crushed stone or asphalt arranged along a right-of-way, conducting a user through space along a predetermined trajectory. In a sense, it's not the trail itself that matters. It's the territory it passes through and the communities it connects. That's the philosophy behind the Greenways Movement, as envisioned by one of its pioneers, designer, planner, and advocate Chuck Flink. His new book, The Greenway Imperative, argues for a more holistic view of the role that trails, parks, and open space can play in building stronger communities and healthier ecosystems. By looking beyond trails to the surrounding landscape, Chuck says we can begin to forge a new kind of relationship between humans and the world we inhabit, a seamless articulation between the natural and built environments. Now, if all that sounds a little bit abstract, know that Chuck Flink isn't just some starry-eyed philosopher. He's a planning and landscape architecture pro with decades of on-the-ground experience. Through his consulting firm, Greenways Incorporated, Chuck has worked with hundreds of communities to plan and execute park, trail, and open space projects all over the world. Not only that, he's also a historian of trail building in the U.S. and of the multiple attempts to create a coast-to-coast national trail system, a vision that dates back to the 19th century. And today, he's our guest on Pennsylvania Legacies. Chuck, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell me a little bit about the work that you do and and your company, Greenways Incorporated.
1: Yeah, so I'm a landscape architect, and I set up Greenways Incorporated in 1986, so it's been around quite a while. And I actually merged a good portion of that with Alta Planning and Design about 10 years ago. And so today it's just a, a single consulting, uh, me, myself, my cat. <laughs> but um, I'm in the space of, uh, have been in the space of greenways and trails, but also conservation of open space, environmental parks, uh, things like that. And now, uh, you know, it's really fun to kind of focus on some bigger scale issues like a emerging national greenway system.
0: How did you get into this line of work in the first place?
1: You know, from being a kid, I was always outdoors. And it's interesting to reflect on that because I I didn't realize at the time that that this was something I was really going to – you know, pursue as a, as an adult and as a professional. But when I was in college, I realized that it was a pretty strong calling for me and wanting to be a landscape architect. And then I, my big break was in 1984 when uh, after a pretty tough recession, uh, the city of Raleigh advertised a position to be a greenway planner. I did not know what greenways were at the time, uh, but I went and applied for the position and was hired. And it really sort of was a calling for me, a real love uh, to be involved in this space.
0: So, I mean, you've been in this field for a while. So has Pack. Uh, I know you've done some work with us in the past. My first intersection with PAC
1: was on the North Delaware River Greenway Master Plan, which was a vision for the North Delaware River. And uh, Patrick Starr called me up and asked me to come up and sort of make a comment on the vision plan that was put out by Field Operations, James Corner. And after that, uh, then we, we sort of got into the first activation of that vision was the Waterfront Greenway. So we were hired uh, by PAC to do the master plan. And I think that that, uh, that that plan is is now part of the circuit trail uh, metro plan for Philadelphia, it might be. But it's uh, about a 10-mile stretch of the North Delaware River, and portions of it have already been opened for public access and use. And it's also part of the East Coast Greenway alignment through Philadelphia. So that was my first intersection with PEC.
0: But just one of many regional trail projects
1: all over the country that you've been involved in? Absolutely. Uh, sort of coast to coast, I've been able to really work in this space from Miami all, all the way up to Las Vegas. And many places in between. So it's I'm very blessed to have been in this space and and really worked in a number of different communities. I think it's like 260, 270 communities in 35 states. So it's been a lot
0: of fun. You mentioned a minute ago that when you started out, you weren't sure what a greenway was. I was glad you said that because I was hoping to get a little bit of uh, clarification on the terminology. What is the difference between a greenway and a trail? Is one a subset of the other? Or are they totally different categories? Right. So
1: I really like to say, and I, I do this with projects all the time, like I'm in Memphis right now working on the Wolf River Greenway, I've been there for five years. And before that, I was in Northwest Arkansas working on the Razorback Greenway. To me, greenways are, are really the corridor of land. Uh, the trail is the is the place where where humans are. You know, it's the tread. Um, that's the difference that I that I like to point out to make it as simple as possible. Because I think when people say the word greenway, they oftentimes mean trail, right. and then sometimes people pick on the trail when they don't really want to pick on the greenway. <laughs> so that's the way I like to separate it out. So the greenway is the quarter of land, and that quarter of land can be all natural. I mean, completely nature. Or through urban areas, it could be this really mixed-use landscape, industrial, residential, commercial, institutional. Um, but that, that varying corridor of land because greenways are long and skinny, they're sort of linear parks, is what makes them so attractive and so fascinating for, for people to work on and develop in their communities. We need more connections to nature and really not even so much, you know, yes, nature, but also just outdoors. And we know that people will walk in all kinds of outdoor environments. Walking is the number one activity in America, but there's a a real need to do biking and and other kinds of outdoor activities. And greenways are these great, you know, linear landscapes that that facilitate that movement in our community. And in urban areas, they're going to extend across all these different kinds of landscapes, you know, that we don't necessarily would call nature per se although a lot of greenways in a lot of communities are along floodplains so they do tend to represent an element of nature but they also can you know go overland and so they can be a part of our road systems or part of utility corridors or cobbled together landscapes that are just uh, part of the urban fabric so I, I think we need those connections to the outdoors and greenways deliver that as, as a landscape type.
0: So the title of your book is The Greenway Imperative, which kind of struck me. What's so urgent about this idea? Why is it an imperative?
1: Right. No, I love it. And I got into this discussion with my publisher who said the same thing, feeling like, ooh, this might be a turnoff using the word imperative. But I really believe that we are at this stage of an imperative – For human beings, humanity on earth. Uh, we have a, we have a rapidly warming planet. Now there's a lot of discussion about this. I mean, people want to focus on, oh, climate change. Oh, there is no climate change. Oh, yes, there is climate change. You know, my take on my research is the climate's always changing. I mean, it's, it's not a, we don't live in a static, uh, planet. We live in a dynamic planet. So the climate's changing. So then the second question is, okay, well, what's causing it? Well, humans aren't causing it. Well, I believe we are. Um, and so the contributions of, of greenways are, are quite fascinating in this regard to me. It started out as a path through the woods. It started out as this sort of recreational concern. But in 1997, I I had two clients that came to me simultaneously. They were both flood victims, Louisville, Kentucky, Grand Forks, North Dakota, both suffered 500-year storm events, uh, flood events. And the, the, the switch went on. I mean, we, we, we went from trying to design a path through the woods to trying to design landscapes that would mitigate damages and save lives. That's a big switch, you know, for a linear uh, landscape in a community. And to me, that's when, you know, everything sort of began to change. We began to get into transportation concerns, health and wellness concerns, economic development. So yes, I see this landscape typology as an imperative in the the societies and communities we live in today. And that's the kind of stories that I wanted to share with people through this book, The Greenway Imperative.
0: So when you look at, at your career working in cities and regions all over the country, I'm curious about what different sort of dynamics you encounter there, how you apply this idea that greenways are are not just like this recreational asset that's part of a package of things that make a community special, but actually kind of ties all of these other things together in this really important way. Does that open doors for conversations with people who might not otherwise be interested in talking about trails and open space? And in some ways, forcing conversations that are not comfortable to
1: have or communities have not been having. Um, in, in, In St. Louis, for example, we're working on an urban greenway, which I think is forcing open a lot of history, a lot of wounds in an urban area, and trying to figure out how to move forward You know How to have Maybe uh Maybe not even closure Necessarily But how to move forward And have a discussion That addresses a lot Of, of issues That have been You know In that community For many years Same in Memphis We're building The Wolf River Greenway Through African American Neighborhoods That have had no investment For over 60 years We're the first Investment in those areas And opening up Brand new public space So I like that That Greenway Sort of force Those topics And those discussions Now others Could could be, what do we do with this blighted area? What do we do with this polluted area? Or could be positive. How do we bring economic change to this community or this aspect of our community? How do we do a better job of addressing health and wellness? If we have particular health problems in certain sectors or certain neighborhoods, can uh, outdoor access and outdoor use help mitigate some of those health-related problems? So I like the fact that greenways, because they're they're long and skinny and they travel across urban landscapes, they basically force a lot of doors open and force us to address uh, issues that are relevant to our communities.
0: Let's talk a bit more about uh, environmental impacts. While you were talking about the long skinny corridors, I was recalling something. Somebody was telling me not long ago about the importance of riparian buffers for stream health and how trail developments and riparian buffers, I mean, naturally go hand in hand. Right, can you think of other examples where those things kind of uh, synergistically complement one another?
1: Absolutely. And you know, we've done some work. Uh, I've been fortunate to be involved in some of these projects where we're doing urban stream uncapping. Uh, we just did this in Springdale, Arkansas, where we uncapped a stream that had been buried for, you know, 40, 50 years and restoring uh, the health to that stream, reconnecting people to that stream. Been involved with my my buddy Keith Bowers at Biohabitats on doing stream restoration, where we have really urban polluted streams, streams that have been forgotten, bringing those streams back to health. So we have some of that activity. And then, you know, where we're having growth and development, we can go and establish greenways as buffers uh, to mitigate impacts of of growing communities um, that might be suburbanizing uh, and changing in that regard. So there's a big environmental component to me about you know what greenways are capable of addressing. It's a lot to ask these sort of receiving zones, these these streams that are being impacted by surrounding development, to be able to solve the problems of adjacent growth with a skinny buffer. And they probably don't do all of that, but they're better than not having any buffer. And I think historically in America, uh, we've had this sort of view that, well, let's just straighten and channelize the stream. And so now we're approaching it with more of a soft engineering approach and saying, well, let's use a greenway solution. And so that generally means a little bit more nature uh, adjacent to these riparian areas.
0: And you then have the opportunity to talk about these environmental and conservation type interventions in a way that isn't going to turn off as many people, I would hope. You know, like instead of saying we're going to preserve this land and now it's kind of off limits and it can't be developed and it's just for the – animals and trees or whatever now it's a public space and it's part of your life and your community and you can enjoy it too so you have some investment in that preservation
1: right. and Richard louve has talked about you know nature deficit disorder which he points to children but you could make the same argument for adults I mean when we're not connected to the natural world Uh, It's out of sight, out of mind. I remember going into Cincinnati with the Mill River, uh, which was horribly polluted, and there was no connection uh, that anybody really had to it. And the client asked me at the time, Chuck, do we first clean up the environmental mess or do we connect people to a polluted river? And I said, connect them to a polluted river. Because they're never going to know that the river's polluted unless they see it for themselves, unless it really becomes real. So, yes, I, I think there's a lot of ways in which we make these connections. Sometimes the connections are very positive because we have healthy streams where, you know, kids can wade in the water and go out and study the amphibians. In other cases, we're dealing with really polluted messes that we've created, but we need to be connected to understand what kind of TLC and restoration is necessary.
0: Talk about impacts on individual communities when a greenway or a trail project goes through. How does that community change? We've seen
1: this, for example, just with the Razorback Greenway in northwest Arkansas. When we first were brought in by the Walton Family Foundation back in 2010, this is a very auto-centric community. Very few trails that really led you anywhere, connected, uh, were useful in any sort of way. A decade later, and and this is a credit to the Walton Family Foundation, four hundred miles of trails. Um now it's a way of life. You know, they're they're actually advertising nationally uh to bring people to their community that says You don't want to drive your car everywhere? Come to Northwest Arkansas. You can ride your bike to work. You can ride your bike to school. You can go shopping by bike. You know, that's a major cultural change. And I realize that not every community is experiencing that and not every community has that level of investment. But this is what's possible by understanding the, the power and the benefits of Greenways.
0: Do you find that – I mean you were talking about sort of the universals. There's a, there's a public health aspect. There's an economic development aspect that seem to be true maybe in different ways in different parts of the country. But are there uh, differences regionally by metro area that make it more difficult maybe to advance these kinds of projects?
1: Well, I think in some of our more urban areas – where there's a a lot of uh, development that's occurred, we're talking about trying to reclaim space and that's really difficult. Um, It's it's just challenging from a lot of different perspectives, not just the real estate perspective, but maybe just the level of acceptance. We went down to Miami, Florida uh, over 20 years ago, called in by the Trust for Public Land, and we started working on the Miami River Greenway. Well, it was interesting, uh, my perspective was people didn't know there was a river in the middle of their city and they didn't Know the river that their city was named after the river, and so Miami is the Miamis, which is the Indians that lived there thousands of years ago, and that's where the the city got its name. Well, one of the other problems we had was really connecting with uh the Latin community, the the Hispanic community who asked me via Verde, why 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 is the way green, Chuck? What why is does does this matter? You know? And so we had to basically uh find a cultural connection uh with this population and, and I, I did find a cultural connection in, in Havana, Cuba, uh the Malacone, which is a a cultural landscape. It's where people go to date, where they uh go play checkers a social landscape. And so when we were able to go back and say, hey, we want to build the Malacone in Miami, everybody was like, oh, that'd be awesome. Hmm. We'd love to have that kind of a landscape in downtown Miami. So I think sometimes it is it is connecting to the natural world, but also it's also connecting to the social fabric of our cities, uh, which are very diverse. They're not just one kind of thing, and they're not just one kind of audience that we're talking to in that regard.
0: Well, and that's something that PAC has been focused on a lot lately through our work with the Circuit Trails Initiative and the Inclusionary trail building toolkit that we developed right. about a year ago. Are you seeing similar uh, kind of trends in other parts of the country where you're working? I think it's probably one of the hottest topics right now in America. I mean, I we're, we're
1: dealing with it in Memphis, we're dealing with it in St. Louis, and I, I hear about uh, those are two I'm working on, but I hear about it really all across the country, and I think we're much more aware of our need, uh, especially in this particular space, to be uh, more inclusive, to listen more, to to reach out, and to figure out what kind of connection. Can we make better meaningful? Because a lot of the feedback that I that I've had, and I've worked in communities of color for many years for over two decades the first issue is look we need a lot of things but a Greenway would be the last on the list you know so how is this relevant to us how does it improve our lives how does it improve the creation of jobs how does it improve education etc cetera, etc cetera? so and that you know that can be a tall task but that's the framework that we really need to work within and so I do see this as a rapidly rising and important issue all across the country and I'm, I'm glad that Peck is working on it and I'm glad to be involved in communities that are that are taking that seriously.
0: Well, I think you like this national perspective that you bring is really interesting and valuable because we tend to think of of trails and public spaces very local. And, you know, they started in communities and maybe they work their way out uh, on a more regional scale. But I think a lot of people are not accustomed to thinking of trails in terms of nationwide connectivity. I know that's something that you are really knowledgeable about. I was lucky to hear you give a presentation on the history of the national trails uh, movement. This is something that's come up Several times in our country's history. I'm curious, like, why it hasn't happened yet and why, what reasons there are to think it could happen in the future.
1: So what I'd like to propose out there is that this is a continuing discussion that's about 100 years old. It's it, Greenways is a concept that's older than that because it dates to Olmstead and, and such. But in 1919, Warren Manning, a landscape architect, published a, a, a manuscript in which he proposed a national plan for America. And one element of his national plan was a national system of greenways. And you have to kind of put this in perspective because the Organic Act, which set up our national park system, was passed in 1916. So this is really on the heels of that. And he was thinking, hey hey, what if we had this national system, what he called recreation ways, which were really green ways, that would connect all these national parks together? How cool would that be? Um, and so then we go through about 55 years of serious disruption, <laughs> a, a, a depression, two world wars, a Cold War, Vietnam War, Korean War. But essentially, in 1968, a bipartisan group of people uh, across America come together and convince President Johnson to sign into law a National Trail System Act. That recognizes, for the most part, the heritage trails uh, of America, those trails that were sort of the pioneers took out west and and things like that. A lot of natural system or surface trails. But there was a provision in there for metropolitan trails. But honestly, in 1968, America was not as urbanized as it is today. Um, Then a little bit later on. President Reagan uh, executes a, an executive order. A president's commission gets formed. They come back after two years of meeting and say, "Look, we need a national greenway system in America," and that's about 1985. Um, then a little bit later george bush takes on uh, the national Tra- uh, transportation system and and essentially first passes the first george right. bush right george h w and he passes and you know, he he leads the effort in in t the Inter- intermodal surface transportation efficiency act so essentially what we have codified is two things we have uh, legislation that says we should have a national trail system and we have a funding source. Um, and, and the, so the conversation has really picked up over the last, say, 30 years. Why don't we have it today? It's a great question. I would say that we're a lot further along than people might understand. Uh, We have states like Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania that have really uh, advanced systems, uh, at least mapped out, planned out for how these should be connected. We have long distance trails like the East Coast Greenway and the Pacific Coast Trail um, that are out there. We have the American Discovery Trail and we have uh, Rails to Trails Conservancy proposing a brand new cross-nation trail. So there's a lot that's been going on in the space. I think it's a matter of us sort of focusing our energy bringing together a very diverse coalition of groups that are interested from the private sector, from the public sector, and beginning to map out what we know – what we have on the ground today, and what we'd like to achieve going forward. I think if we had that kind of a game, a plan, that we could execute a fairly successful national greenway strategy for the North American continent. I also include in that uh, the concept of greenways as geneways, which is to think about climate change and to think about its impact on plants and animals And to create conservation corridors along with that that would allow for the national – the natural migration of plants and animals as climate and weather continue to change over time. So that's the – that's in a nutshell the proposal.
0: What else would a, a national greenway system look like? How would we experience it as users? What would it look like from the community's perspective? Absolutely. And I think we're getting some glimpses of that with, like, the East Coast Greenway,
1: which is 3,000 miles from Maine to Florida. We're seeing completed sections of that happening. And uh, the byproduct of that is very interesting. We're seeing adventure tourism rise. We're seeing greater mobility. Uh, So East Coast Greenway Alliance is reporting around 12 million annual uses a year of its completed sections. It's got about a third done. So about 1,000 miles are on the ground. Of what they regard as their Class One trail, which is an off-road trail, um, so that's pretty impressive. They they believe that you know with more trail developed they could see fifty million you know uses a year on the East Coast Greenway alone. So we're seeing you know big impacts to all kinds of things: economic uh, development, uh, you know, job creation, adventure tourism, that kind of stuff, uh, health and wellness, transportation, and then g- going back to my idea that the Greenway is the corridor more conservation of of landscapes that permit these these gene ways to come about so it's a very diverse sort of uh, benefits that are out there
0: the book is the greenway imperative connecting communities and landscapes for a sustainable future just out from the university press of florida chuck flink is its author of uh, greenways incorporated chuck thanks so much for being on pennsylvania legacies today thank you so much it's a pleasure to be with you Be sure to check out the episode description for links and information on Chuck Flink's new book, The Greenway Imperative. You can find it along with 113 past episodes of Pennsylvania Legacies on the PEC website at pecpa.org. The show is also available to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on most other podcatcher apps. Each of those platforms offers the opportunity to users to give feedback on the content. So if you like what you hear, Please do us a favor, rate and review the show to help other listeners discover it. You can connect with the Pennsylvania Environmental Council on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter we're at PECPA. Our policy shop has its own Twitter feed at PECPolicy. And you can always subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Do so by clicking the button at the bottom of the homepage on our website, which one more time is PECPA.org. P-E-C-P-A, We'll be back in two weeks with another conversation on Pennsylvania legacies. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.